0: As, a, as the choir's coming down, we're really excited. Uh, we've had a great morning so far this morning, and I heard yesterday morning was uh, a good time with, the, with Brian as well. And uh, just excited to have Brian Osborne with Answers in Genesis. And this is the ministry that has a creation museum up in Kentucky and the, the new ark that, uh, that was open this year. And uh, Brian's got a bachelor's degree from uh, Brian College. Brian Brian. Uh, and a master's from Lee University over there in Cleveland and uh, an interesting thing about Brian I think anyways he taught biblical history in Tennessee public schools for 13 years Um, so really neat thing about Brian there and uh, just excited to um, hear what the Lord's laid on his heart to share with us he works uh, with answers in Genesis now so let's give Brian a warm welcome All right, Uh, you broke my computer. It stopped. Just kidding. (laughs) Good morning. How's everybody? Doing well? How can you not be after such a great worship session? Amen? Amen. That was good stuff. Um, I have the privilege of speaking all over the place. I travel all over the place and speak on different issues about biblical authority. And I get to be with God's people everywhere. And I love it. I love coming to places and just worshiping God with you. Isn't it awesome? We come together under the banner of Christ. I get so excited because as we're sitting here worshiping together, praising God, how awesome he is. I think to myself, I hope to see you again. I do. But if I don't, I know I'll see you on the other side of Jordan. What an amazing idea that is. Amen? This guy always runs through my mind. So anyway, so glad to be here. It's a blessing to be here. I am from Answers in Genesis, and we'll see if we can get my screen popping up here. Do you guys need me to jiggle something down here? Aha! There we go. Thank you very much. I'll pull this up here real quick. Who's familiar with answers in Genesis? Anybody? A few of you. Okay, maybe 30 40% of you. If you're not, we are uh, an apologetics ministry that equips Christians how to defend their faith in a secular culture. That's our passion. That is our heartbeat. And we do a lot of, with creation evolution issues. Uh, we have the Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky. Anybody heard of the Creation Museum? Possibly. All right, a few of you. Very good. A lot of you, actually. Praise God. Who's been? Very good. All right, a few of you. Very good. All right, the rest of you can repent later on. But glad you guys... No. Um, uh, also, we built the Ark Encounter, a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. That's by us. Who's heard about the Ark Encounter? A lot of you. That's got a lot of press, and we praise God for that. It's been open for three months. We've had over four or around 400,000 people come to visit the Ark. And studies show around half of those are unbelievers. And what an amazing thing. Well, yeah, so. Uh, but here's the thing about our ministry. Well, and I say this all the time as I speak. Uh, we are not a creation versus evolution ministry. We're not about winning debate. That's not who we are. We are a biblical authority ministry, equipping Christians to defend biblical authority where it's being attacked today so we can stand on God's word and boldly proclaim the gospel with clarity to secular culture. That's our heartbeat. That's why we do everything we do. That is the purpose of the Creation Museum, as I mentioned to you earlier. Around six hours from here, about take you get there. 75,000-square-foot facility, absolutely world-class, so well done in so many different ways. But as you go through the museum, we will walk you through biblical history. And those first four Cs, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, that's really Genesis 1 to 11. That's the foundational history to the last three Cs Christ's cross and consummation, the gospel of Jesus Christ based in that history. Now, as we walk you through that history, we answer the skeptical questions of this age. What about this in starlight? Where did God come from? How did he explain the ape men? And what about DNA? So forth and so on. Answering the questions, defending the faith, standing on God's word, and proclaiming the gospel. That's the purpose behind the Ark encounter as well. If you haven't seen it, there it is. It is a massive structure, it really is. Many secular journalists have walked up to the ark and said, I never knew it was this big. Maybe Noah could have fit all those animals onto the ark. (laughs) We have a running joke going. People say, well, did you make enough gopher wood? Yes, we did go for a lot of wood. All right, so that's our. (laughs) All right, that's what we all say. All right, but anyway, you get the idea. But with the ark encounter. Again, inside and out, it'll blow your mind, the architecture, the exhibits, the size, the scale. And we answer questions, defend the faith, and proclaim the gospel. That's really what it's all about. In that picture, you see my wife, Marla, my beautiful bride of 18 years, and our son, Ian, right there in the ark and can, equipping the next generation to defend the faith. And that's really what this is all about, answering questions, defending the faith, standing on God's word, proclaiming the gospel. And we're so passionate about this. If you're here last session, we talked about do animals evolve, and, and we're, we're, we give those answers. But we're passionate about these answers because we've recognized that our nation is headed in the wrong direction. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you laugh? All right, yeah. Pretty easy to see. And you know, it's interesting, it's not just America. It is the entire Western world. We're seeing the collapse of the Christian worldview and the rise of secular humanism, Right, But the fact that it's happening in America is pretty astounding because isn't it true that America's probably been the most Christianized nation ever? I mean, if you think about it right now, America has over 600,000 churches, more than anybody else in the world. We have more Bible colleges, more seminaries. We have more Christian bookshops and radio stations, more Christian TV stations. In America, we have more Christian resources than any nation has ever had throughout all of history. That's a staggering thought. But yet, for all of those Christian resources, are we as a nation becoming more Christian or less Christian every day? Less, and rapidly so, right? Who would ever thought we would live in a nation where things like abortion and gay marriage and drug use would be seen as good, and things like prayer, Bible, as evil and bigoted. Who ever thought we would live in a nation where an atheist group would set up a booth at the University of Texas and encourage the students there to trade in their Bibles for pornography? It was called the Smut for Smut campaign. That's seen as a good thing. Who ever thought we would live in a nation where 4,000 babies a year, a year, actually, I'm sorry, that's wrong. 4,000 babies a day, I'm sorry. 4,000 babies a day are murdered in their mother's womb. 4,000 a day, that's not 11 over and over again, day in and day out. 60 million since Roe v. Wade. 60 million. And we wonder why our nation's under judgment. Who ever thought we would live in a nation where not only do we do that, but we can record uh, management for certain places like Planned Parenthood where the management says, on video, well, you know, we, we abort the baby in a special way. We don't crush this part of the baby, but we crush this part so we can preserve things like the heart and the liver, so we can sell those for higher value. And she's eating her salad as she does so. Because that's just normal. Who thought we live in a nation like that? Who ever thought we would live in a nation where we don't know which bathroom to use? It's nuts, right? Uh, Can we just all agree at this point our nation has lost its ever-loving mind? Pretty much, right? And I know we're all worried about this for multiple reasons. I'm worried about it for many reasons, one of which is my son who's three years old. This is the culture he's growing up in. Now, if this is what it's like now, what will it be like in five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 from years from now, so forth and so on? And what will it be like for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And see, we were worried about this because we have noticed America is indeed heading in the wrong direction. But why? Why is America becoming less Christian every day? Why is the church not influencing the culture like it used to? Here's what I suggest. Because the culture has invaded the church. I'm going to suggest a lot of social issues we see today, they're not the problems. Ultimately, they are the symptoms. They're the symptoms of a change of a foundation in our nation from God's word to man's. And there's been this change because there's been an attack on the word of God in our culture today. And that attack has happened both in and outside the church. And we've seen the consequences both in and outside the church. And this attack on God's word is nothing new. God's word has been under attack since really the very beginning. Back in Genesis chapter 3, remember the devil said to Eve, did God really say? First attack. What's he trying to get Eve to do right there? It's a doubt, to question God's word, right? Because if she'll doubt it, ultimately she may reject it. And you know, that method was so effective, he's used it ever since. Different forms, different ways, but the same basic attack. And I'll suggest in our day and age, one of the primary ways he does this is through the teaching of things like Evolution, ape men, Big Bang, millions of years, using those ideas to get people to question God's word, to doubt God's word, to reject God's word. That in a real sense, guys, this has been like a stealth attack by the enemy who's attacked the foundational history of the Bible to undermine the authority of the Bible, to undermine the gospel that's based in that authority. Because if we think about it, just to put it very bluntly, if we cannot believe the Bible's clear history, why on earth trust what it says about salvation? I mean, if Genesis 1-1 is not true, why would you trust Job 3-16? I mean, if the earthly things of the Bible aren't right, why trust what it talks about spiritual things? That wouldn't make any sense. And guys, this is where the attack is occurring today. It's a very effective attack. And you know who understands this best are the secularists, the unbelievers. They understand this, and they use it very well. Let me give you an example of this very quick, uh, quickly. I'll show you a clip of a gentleman named Lawrence Krauss, professor of physics over at Arizona State University, teaching here at a conference back in 2009. And listen to what he says, again, teaching for public schools, secular institutions, listen to what he says, and listen to the reaction of the crowd. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded, because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution, weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And and anyway... This is great. Hey, did you catch that punchline? Forget Jesus. The stars died so you can be here today. Jesus is not the real son of God who died for his sins. The Bible's not real history. now Jesus is just a punchline. How did you really get here? Well, stars exploded, and the stardust in your left hand is different than the stardust in your right hand. Really, evolution, big bang, millions of years is true. This book is not true. Don't trust anything it says, including about Jesus. This is where the attack is occurring. Today, Again, it's nothing new, but it's where it's happening now. The same guy said later on in a different interview, change is always one generation away. And he's right. So if we can plant the seeds of doubt in our children, sounds like Genesis chapter what? Chapter three, we just read it, right? Religion, and by religion, he really means Christianity, will go away in a generation, or at least largely so. And I believe that's what we have an obligation to do. This is where the attack is occurring. And you know, he is right. Change is always one generation away. Do you realize according to multiple studies that because of this attack, that an average of two-thirds of kids who grow up in the church are walking away from the faith by the time they reach college age? And I want you to know really quickly, these are, these are two-thirds of the kids who grow up in the church. They're involved. They're involved in Sunday school. They're in Awan, they're doing. They're doing VBS. These are the kids in the church, two-thirds of those kids are walking away from the faith. So we want to figure out why that was happening, right? Because that's a really big deal. So we did a research project with Brent Beamer from America's research group to interview all these kids who walked away to find out what was going on, what we could do about it. And he interviewed 1,000 of these kids who had grown up in the church and a sense, walked away. And let me show you some of the major things he found, just two big things very quickly. When he asked them, if you don't believe, when did you first have doubts? And I want you to notice something that really just kind of blew our socks off. It was not college. Isn't that what we think as Christian parents and Christian grandparents and Christian teachers? That we raise our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and the church and then they get off to college and it's the secular professor like Lawrence Krauss and the college scene that turns them away? Oh no, according to the research, All these kids had all these questions in middle school and high school. Over 85% of them had all these doubts in middle school and high school, all these questions. Questions, by the way, that weren't getting answered. What sort of questions? Well, they're the same questions I heard as a teacher for 13 years in a public school, same questions I heard for 20 years working with youth within the church. Questions like, well, Mr. Osborne, where did God come from? And you know, how can we trust the Bible is the true word of God? And why are there 66 books in the Bible? And what about Distant and Starland? How do you explain the eight men? If we all come from Adam and Eve, then where do we get all these different races? And hasn't carbon 14 disproved the Bible? And Mr. Osborne, how did Noah get those animals onto the ark? And where did the water, all, all the water for the flood come from? And where did, where did the water go from the flood, right? And then Mr. Osborne doesn't write dating and disprove the Bible. Man, hasn't science disproved the Bible? Have you heard some of those questions? Yes, because that's where the attack is occurring today. You see, for my kids, like many of your kids, this generation, many recent generations, they've been brought up in a culture to believe that the Bible can't be trusted in a quote-unquote scientific age, that the Bible's really been bound up by things like evolution and eight men and Big Bang and millions of years, and in their minds, the Bible's been left in shambles, and they're waiting for a response from the church. They're waiting for a response from their parents and their grandparents who have grown them up in the faith they say what they want answers answer to these questions and what do they get in response most of the time it's this i don't know but just trust in jesus anyway you see for many of the kids when they don't get an answers, they think the bible doesn't have answers so i trust what it says about anything and see for what we saw in the studies that most of these kids were walking away in their hearts and in their minds before they ever left physically for college they're sitting in our pews in our homes right now and they're already gone that's why we entitled the book already gone and when he asked them the reasons for leaving one of their primary ones was hypocrisy and he said well okay well wait a minute define that for me because that can mean many different things and they said this is what the majority of the people said in response to him they said this is what we mean we grew up in church and we were told that this book right here is the word of God trust everything it says trust what it says about history and morality salvation why because it's God's word but especially trust that part about Jesus that's really important And you can trust it because it is God's word. But then we were told, they said, in some way, shape, or form by a teacher or a parent or a grandparent or a pastor, someone in Christendom they respected, they were told in some way, shape, or form that we as Christians don't necessarily believe this part of the book. And you can take evolution and eight men and Big Bang and millions of years, reinterpret that. God could have used all those things. You don't have to believe Genesis as it really reads. That doesn't matter. Don't worry about this part. Just be sure you believe the rest of it and you trust in Jesus. And guys, they saw it as hypocrisy, and rightfully so, and they're walking away from the church in droves, and because of this, we're seeing a lot of testimonies, like this young man's. ...of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family, and indoctrinated as uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. I bet most of you know someone with a very similar testimony. I know teaching for 13 years, I heard this sort of testimony over and over and over again from so many different high school students. And in doing this ministry with answers and before answers on my own for 10 years, I cannot tell you the number of parents who have come up to me after a conference like this and said, Brian, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's exactly what they said. They came up to me when they were growing up and they asked me, Mommy, what about dinosaurs? I said, I don't know. But don't worry about it. Trust in Jesus anyway. Dad, what about millions of years? Don't worry about, son, trust in Jesus anyway. And they thought the Bible did not have answers, and they're walking away from the faith. Heard it over and over and over again. This is why two-thirds are indeed walking away from the faith. And guys, hear me on this. I am sure with all my heart that Christian parents and Christian leaders had the best of intentions when they said, don't worry about that, I don't know, but just trust in Jesus anyway. They had the best of intentions, right? But don't you know, even as Christians, we can have the best of intentions and get the worst of consequences. Is that true? And Absolutely. Let me give you an example of that very quickly. Let me show you some bad church bulletin titles I have found where Christians had good intentions but got terrible consequences. For example, the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to conflict. <laughs> good intentions, right? Well-meaning. Bad consequences. Don't let worry kill you. I'll let the church help. That's funny. Or this one. This definitely doesn't uh, pertain to you guys, but at the service tonight, the sermon topic will be What is Hell? Come early, listen to our choir practice. (laughs) (laughs) Good intentions, bad consequences. And Barbara remains in the hospital. She needs more blood donors. She's having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. Good intentions, bad consequences. And hey guys, that's what's happened as really in Christianity we've actually compromised with the secular teaching of this age, undermined biblical authority and we're seeing the consequences of that compromise. You know, instead of us teaching the Bible as a real book of history, equipping our kids to answer the questions of this age, what are we doing? Well, we typically we avoid their questions. We tell them to trust in Jesus anyway. And oh, by the way, here's some really cool, sweet Bible stories you might like to listen to. Bible stories like Adam and Eve and Noah and the Ark and Little Red Riding Hood and Jesus and Paul's missionary journeys and Pinocchio and and, uh, Jeremiah and we learn about also Beauty and the Beast. It'll be great. (laughs) You say, wait, what are you getting at? Well, here's what I mean. The word story, we say Bible stories all the time, but what does the word story tend to mean in our modern language? tends to mean make-believe, fiction, not real, right? And so unintentionally, probably, but we're telling our kids in a sense, come to church and learn all these great Bible stories, all these make-believe things, not really real. Maybe some moral truths, but they're not real history. But also think about it like this. So they learn stories at church from their perspective for our kids in the coming generations. But what do they learn at school? Well, I guess what they get at school, they get real history at school. They get real things like biology, geology, anthropology, astronomy. That's the real history of the universe. Well, they get church stories. And also, in most churches today, we're not doing apologetics, which means to defend your faith. It does not mean to apologize. It means to give a defense for your faith, like a lawyer in a courtroom. That's the idea, giving a defense. But we're not doing that as we're commanded to do in the church. But you know who is teaching apologetics? The secular culture, secular teachers. National Geographic on TV, the museums, the zoos, they're teaching a different form of apologetics. They're teaching all the reasons to believe that evolution is true, millions of years is true, and the Bible's history cannot be true. They're teaching their form of apologetics. And what do they get at church? Stories. No wonder two-thirds are walking away from the faith. Why would you trust such a book about anything? And guys, this revealed real history in Genesis is of the utmost importance. You see, really, these first four C's, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion. That's the geological, biological, anthropological, astronomical history of the universe that's foundational to the next three Cs, where Jesus Christ steps into history, dies on the cross, pays our debt, rising again, defeating death, that we can be saved in him and then one day he is coming again in the coming consummation. Amen? And you see, these seven Cs are married. You cannot divorce them. They go inextricably together. For example, just as it was a perfect creation originally, one day at the consummation, Jesus will make it perfect again. I mentioned this in the very first session. I thought about it again as we were doing prayer requests here this morning. I heard a lot of prayer requests. There's a lot of pain, isn't there? In our fallen world, there are diseases. People are dying. People are struggling. There's pain, death. Why what we call some man's sin? So we're looking forward to the coming consummation, where Jesus will return it back to the perfect state. No more death. No more suffering, no more pain, no more gossip. It'll be perfect. Anybody else looking forward to that? Amen, hallelujah, right? But that's that connection, biblically speaking. Because of man's sin in real history, that's why we need a Savior to die on the cross in our place to pay the perfect, infinite price we could never pay. Rise again, the feeding death, we can be saved in him. And just like it was a global judgment in the time of Noah's day with one way to be saved, so there is indeed another global judgment coming, this time by fire. And the Bible says there is one way to be saved. Jesus says, I am the door. If by me any man enter in, he shall be what? He shall be saved through Christ and Christ alone. The flood and the ark is a picture of God's judgment and God's salvation. I'm right there in the book of Genesis. And then the confusion in the Tower of Babel, you know what that tells us? It reminds us that there is just one race, that we're all descendants of Adam. That's why we're all sinners in need of a savior, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's why I take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation because there is indeed just one race. We're all descendants of Adam. But you see the connection, right? And here's the thing. Generations today have recognized that that first part is not true. Then why should we trust the rest? And people say, at this point, some say, "Okay, Brian, that don't make sense. I get what you're saying. uh, But I mean, still, it's just Genesis. It can't be that important. It's not the rest of the Bible. It's not the gospel, right? Well, that's the main thing. It's not Genesis. It can't be that important. And here's what I would say in response. If you really think about it, actually, Genesis is the foundation to every single biblical doctrine, directly or indirectly. Every biblical doctrine finds its root in the foundational history in the book of Genesis, including the gospel itself. Let me give you a few examples here real quick, if you think about it. Where do we get marriage from? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there sin and death? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are you guys wearing clothes? (laughs) I know we all praise God we are, right? but Why are we doing that? Well, because Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why is he called the last Adam? Why do we need a new heavens and a new earth? The answer all finds finds its way back to which book of the Bible? Genesis. It's a foundational history to all biblical doctrine. Let me focus on two big issues, two big doctrines just very quickly. Let's talk about marriage for a second. Is marriage under attack in our day and age? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because what's happened in our culture is our culture has abandoned God's word as a foundation. Now man's word becomes the ultimate authority. So truth can be whatever you want it to be. So you can redefine all sorts of things, like marriage. But actually, where it comes from is the book of Genesis. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus was asked about marriage by the Pharisees, he responded to the Pharisees by saying, don't you guys read your Bibles, or have you not read? That's my translation. Don't you guys read your Bibles? And he's going to quote from Genesis 1.27 and 2.24. And by the way, a little side note here. Genesis quotes from, or Jesus quotes from Genesis 25 times as real history. And by the way, if Genesis is not real history, and Jesus quotes it as real history, that means Jesus would have been what? A liar and wrong. Big problem. Amen? Big issue. But anyway, back to this. He says, he quotes to the Pharisees, have you not read that he who made them at the when? Beginning. Made them male and female. Oh, by the way, quick little side note here, um, Male and female. Why is there a gender distinction? Why are there males and females? Well, because God the creator made male and female. We find that root all the way back to the book of Genesis. And it's under attack today as well. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We realize that the doctrine of marriage is based on the biology and history of Genesis being true. Right there from the book of Genesis. You become one in marriage is based on the fact that uh, you are one flesh, that the woman came from the man. The woman, praise God, did not come from the ape woman. <laughs> Amen, fellas, all right? Would have stopped population growth in its tracks. And also the the whole foundation for marriage. The woman came from the man. This is reiterated, reiterated throughout the Bible. Paul quotes it a number of times. And we know marriage is between one man and one woman because God who made marriage made it between one man and one woman. We find that in the book of Genesis. And what Jesus was showing is the doctrine of marriage finds its foundation in the book of Genesis. But not only marriage, let's talk about one more very quickly. And that is a doctrine of death. And, guys, this one is huge on so many levels, not the least of which is how it connects directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, according to the Bible, on day six, when God looked down at his creation, he called everything what? Very good, right? I've always kind of thought to myself, what is very good to God? The only thing I come up with is perfection, complete innocence, right? No death, no suffering, no disease, no bloodshed. It was perfection. God told Adam that the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely what? Die. Die. You see, the Bible's clear that God made a perfect creation. There was no death, no suffering, no disease. It was perfection. But Adam, if you eat of the fruit, death, the enemy, will invade my perfect creation because of your sin. You see, the Bible is clear from beginning to end that it was man's sin that brought death and suffering into this world. It's funny, atheists, many times when you hear this argument over and over again, and actually, it's something Darwin said as well, our repeated argument. They'll say this, there's no way a good God made a world like this, full of death and suffering diseases like cancer. And our response is, you know what? You're right. Did God make a world like this? And The biblical answer, based on the history in Genesis, is Oh, he made a perfect creation. Who wrecked this world? We did in our sin. And then God shows his mercy and his love by providing a bridge of salvation to redeem us even after we wrecked his perfect creation. What an amazing message in the Word of God, amen? But you only find that in the Bible. And the book of Genesis is where it starts. But it's clear that man's sin brought death and suffering into this world. And that sin affected everything. Romans 8, 22 says, all of creation is groaning in pain. And those four to ones fixed back to the way it was before man's sin, back to that perfect state. We don't see the death of an animal until after Adam's sin, where God kills an animal in a sense of first blood sacrifice to provide clothing for Adam and Eve, really to cover their sin and their shame. And that is Biblically speaking, a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who has shed his blood to cover our sin and our shame. as we go through the Bible, we realize that the shedding of blood for atonement is a consistent theme throughout all of Scripture. Death is a consequence for sin. Jesus paid the ultimate debt for us. But here's a big problem that I think many Christians, myself included, for a very, very long time. I grew up in the church, and I went to a Christian college, and I majored in biblical studies, and I taught Bible history, but I didn't get this for a long time. If you try to take man's atheistic idea of millions of years and squeeze it into the Bible, you get many theological impossibilities. Here's what I mean. Genesis 1, a couple of examples. Genesis 1, and 30. God told Adam "Need to eat fruit. And then in verse 30, to all the beasts of the earth, everything with the breath of life, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. Originally, according to the Bible, everything was what? Vegetarian. And that really sounds weird to us today, doesn't it? Because we all like meat. Amen, praise God, all right? That sounds weird to us today, but it makes perfect biblical sense because think about it. There was no death until after Adam's sin, which means you cannot eat meat until after Adam's sin. Because when you eat meat, you're eating an animal that has done what? That has died. Before his sin, there was no death. Everything has to be vegetarian. It was not until after the flood that God told Noah, Just as I gave you plants to eat, Noah, now you can eat everything, which, by the way, is why it is okay to eat filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Amen? (laughs) (laughs) It's almost lunchtime, right? So it's past lunchtime. Don't think about that. But anyway, uh, (laughs) things have changed. But why is this a problem? Well, because in the fossil record. Now, from a biblical perspective, we know the rock layers were laid down by the flood for the most part. But from a naturalistic perspective, if you believe those rock layers were laid down slowly over millions of years, and Adam came later, that means you got millions of years of death and suffering before Adam, and thus before sin. But in those rock layers, we find evidence of animals eating each other. But wait, the Bible says everything was originally vegetarian. We find evidence in that same fossil record of diseases like brain tumors and arthritis and cancer. But wait, the Bible says God looked down on day six and called everything very good. Our God would not call millions of years of death and suffering, diseases like cancer, very good. If he did, he would not be a very good God. If he did, if this was the case, you know what that would mean? It would make God the author of death, suffering, bloodshed, and cancer. It would be part of his original very good creation. It's not the biblical God. We find thorns in the fossil record. Supposedly, hundreds of, hundreds of millions of years old, the Bible is clear that thorns came after the curse. And guys, most important of all, if you try to squeeze millions of years into the Bible, no matter how you do it, we see so many different theories. Day-age theory, gap theory, progressive creation, theistic evolution, framework hypothesis, cosmic temple, evolutionary creationism, there are many others. They all have huge theological grammatical flaws, but they all have this one theological impossibility. They all put death before sin. Biblically impossible, and here's why. If you've got millions of years, you got death before sin. And if you got death before sin, then death is not the payment for sin, like the Bible clearly teaches. And if death is not the payment for sin, then Jesus' death does not pay our sin debt. And we're all still lost in our sins and bound for hell. And we just utterly annihilated the foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether we meant to or not, good intentions or not, does not matter. This is where the attack is occurring. It's a foundational attack on the authority of God's word. And what we have here are two different views of history that cannot be put together. And to put it another way, bottom line is simply this. Both atoms are essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis is a real history where God made everything, man in his own image, gives him a choice. Man sins in rebellion, and because of that sin, death enters the world, and that's why we need the last Adam, Jesus Christ. But if there never was an Adam, then where did sin come from? Where did death come from? Why do we need a savior called the last Adam, Jesus Christ? You know who seems to understand this best? The atheist. Let me show you a quote by an atheist on this very issue who says, for if there was no Adam, there was no fall. If there was no fall, there's... No need for hell. If there was no hell, there's no need of Jesus as second Adam, an incarnate Savior, crucified and risen. As a result, the whole biblical system of salvation collapses. Evolution thus becomes the most potent weapon for destroying the Christian faith. They understand the issue extremely well. The devil, the enemy, he understands this really well. The question is, do we? And will we stand and fight? Will we stand on God's word? You know, we sang that song right before I came up, God cannot be moved, amen? You know know what else cannot be moved? God's word. It is settled forever in heaven. If we'll simply stand on it, we can give offense and show the gospel boldly. And people say, okay, Brian, I get all that. That makes sense to me now. But here, here's my thing. Are you telling me that if I don't believe in a young earth and a literal flood, a global flood, and a literal Adam, that I can't be a Christian, that I can't be saved? Are you saying that? No, Romans 10, 9. Confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead. And believe in a young earth in six little days you'll be saved. (laughs) I love that. You can hear that. I heard somebody up here, what? (laughs) That's that last part. Exactly right. No, it's not in there. That's from 2nd Heresies, maybe 3rd Opinions, all right? It's not in the Bible. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Nothing. You're exactly right. Saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's it. So it's not a direct salvation issue. But you know what it is? It is an authority issue. Because where do we get the message of Jesus Christ come? Where does it come from? It comes from the Word of God. And if we can't trust this bit over here, why well, trust what this book says over here? Think about it like this with me for a moment. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Amen? Let me ask you, how do we know that? Where did you get that from? Did you see it? Did you see it on YouTube? <laughs> Was there a status update on Facebook or Twitter? <laughs> now, how do we know that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead? Where do we get that from? The Bible. Oh, okay, so this is supposed to be taken seriously, right? But guys, wait a minute. Hold on now. The secular scientists of our day say that a man can't rise from the dead. So shouldn't we take what the secular scientists say today about resurrection and use that to reinterpret the resurrection of Christ in the Bible? And you say, Brian, you can't do that. This is the word of God. Besides, Brian, why would you take what an atheist says and use that to reinterpret God's clear word? That's a great question. Why would we do it in Genesis? We believe that a virgin gave birth, amen? How do we know? Where did that come from? God's word, right? I bet you guys even believe a fish swallowed a man. <laughs> How do you know a fish swallowed a man? Because the Bible says so, right? We can go all the way through this book. How do we know that Jesus fed thousands a miracles, changed water into wine? He walked on water, the Red Sea parted. How do we know all those things? Because the Bible says so. And guys, here's the thing, though. As we as a ministry talk to Christians all around the world, and we talk to pastors and elders and deacons, and we talk to Bible college professors and seminary professors and so forth, and we say, well, The Bible says that God created in six days Adam from dust, woman from his side, death comes after sin. There's a global flood. Do you know what we hear in response for the most part? Ah, you know, well, we can't really be sure about that part. Well, you know, yeah, it's not very, very clear. And besides, we got to take what the secular scientists are saying and use that to reinterpret Genesis. And besides, God could have used evolution millions of years. And it doesn't really matter anyway. Let's just be sure we trust in Jesus. And when we do that, what we do is we unlock a very important door, the door of compromise, the door that says you can take man's ideas outside of the Bible and use those to reinterpret God's clear word. And generations and generations and more generations and more generations have pushed that door of compromise open further and further, and now we have many generations today saying, why not take man's word and reinterpret the rest of it? And we're seeing the utter collapse of the Christian worldview. Guys, it's an issue of authority. That's what's going on here. And that's why it's of vital importance that we are prepared to give an answer for our faith where the attack is occurring today. It really, really is. And I fear many Christians, they've not done this because we've kind of bought into the secular lie that you can't use the Bible to do science because it's not a science textbook. And you know our response to that? You're right, it's not. And praise God, science textbooks change every year. True? But where the Bible touches on science, can we trust it? Absolutely, it's the word of God. Even though the Bible doesn't give us all the details for biology, geology, astronomy, what it does do is it gives us the big picture of history to correctly understand those things. You see, the Bible, it gives us the right understanding of the past that we use to apply to the evidence in the present, because we all live in the present, right? Right? Raise your hand if you're with me in the present. Just check in, all right, real quick. Deep topic. It's getting warm. Everybody's getting hungry. Hey, you're doing good, though. All right. Quick question. When do fossils exist, past or present? Careful. Present. Very good. Because if they didn't, we would not have them. Right? We've got to recognize when we find a bone in the dirt, it does not come with a label on it saying, hey, made 65 million years ago in Taiwan. All right? <laughs> now, when you find a bone in the dirt, you know something has died. That's about it. And here's my point with this, is that all the evidence that scientists have, whether they're secular or biblical, all of it exists here, now, in the present. All scientists, whether they're secular or biblical, got the same stuff in the present. The same rock layers, the same fossils, the same radioisotopes, the same distant starlight, the same galaxies, the same DNA, same stuff. But they interpret it differently and get different conclusions about where that stuff came from based on their different starting assumptions, based on their different worldviews. And if you start with the wrong assumptions, you will more than likely get the wrong what? The wrong answers. And that's really what this is about. Whose authority do you trust, God's or man's? I'll give you a good example of this. Use this in the very first session. Anybody know what this is right here? Maybe somebody. That's a calf puller. You said a what? Yeah, that's a calf puller. Evidently, when a cow's having trouble giving birth to a baby calf, you take this pole, push it against the cow, take this cable, attach it to the calf, and you crank the calf out of the cow. I've never seen it. I've never done it. I don't want to, all right? Sounds disturbing and dis- disgusting. But <laughs> there's a story uh, that involves a farmer who had a cow giving birth. But it was a breech birth. The calf was coming out backwards, hind legs first. So he use his calf puller. Just so happened, this was taking place by the side of a road. And as he's doing this whole thing, a city guy drives by. And he sees this train wreck happening on the side of the road. So he pulls over, runs up, gets a closer look. The farmer looks up and he sees the guy, kind of laughs to himself, and he says, hey, have you ever seen anything like this before? And the city guy said, no, I've never seen nothing like this. Farmer said, you got any questions? The guy said, yeah, I got one. Farmer said, let's hear it. The guy said, well, just, um, I mean, how fast was that cap going when it hit that cow? <laughs> Some of y'all get that later on. Don't worry about it. Praise God, he is not separating a wreck. Amen? That's really disturbing on multiple levels. No, wrong assumptions, wrong conclusions. And friends, secular scientists have reached some really wrong conclusions about certain things, like the age of the earth and the rock layers and dinosaurs we'll talk about tonight, by the way, at 6 why? Because they're starting with the wrong substance. They've built their thinking on man's word rather than on God's word. And you've got to recognize that there is no such thing as neutrality. Everyone comes to the evidence with a worldview. The Bible says either for Christ or what? Again, it's either walking light or you walking in darkness. There is no such thing as neutrality. Everyone comes to the evidence with a worldview. And guys, when we stand on God's word, and then we can give answers for our faith. Guys, when we stand, here's the thing. The solution to the Genesis 3 attack of our day, you know what it is? It's very simple. We stand on the authority of God's word. And guys, when we do that, we can answer the skeptical questions of this age. We can defend our faith. And then we can proclaim the gospel boldly to a lost and dying world around us. And that's why the Bible implores us to indeed stand on God's word to give these answers. And if we'll simply do that, we do have answers. Answers to questions like, well, how did Noah get all those animals onto the ark? You ever heard that one before? You stand on God's word, you got answers. First of all, recognize, teach from a biblical perspective. Noah's ark was a real boat, over 500 feet long and 85 feet wide and 50 feet tall with three different levels, literally a floating warehouse, tons of room, over 120,000 square feet on that vessel. Plenty of room for the animals needed. Noah needed, at most, around 7,000 animals in a worst-case scenario. We've got to stop teaching this right here. Noah's Ark has an overloaded bathtub, right? (laughs) Giraffes sticking at the top, right? Monkeys hanging out the porthole. Everybody's happy, even though the world's coming to an end. What is going on with this picture? (laughs) And I get the idea. The picture's meant to be cute for kids. I understand. But we all agree kids are very impressionable, right? You show a kid this picture. Does that tell that kid, Noah's Ark and Flood, real event? Fairy tale. Fairy tale. And isn't this what the world is already screaming at our kids? The Bible is a book of fairy tales. Get rid of it. We need to teach them it was a real boat and, and teaching ourselves and our kids the coming generations to answer questions related to that. Like how did you get the animals onto the ark? How many did he take? Well the Bible says Noah took two of each kind not two of each species, two of each kind. And the word kind, for the most part, in the Bible, is equal to about the family level of modern-day classification. So, for example, Noah did not take 400 pairs of dogs with him on the ark. He probably never saw a chihuahua or a poodle in his life. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) He did not have to deal with that junk, all right? He, just, he took two of the dog kinds, and two of the elephant kind, and two too many of the cat kind, put the two of the basic kinds of animals onto the ark. Sneak that in there, all right? Sorry. Really, there was no problem getting the animals he needed onto the ark. Again, at most 7,000 animals, probably a ton of leftover space, more than likely. And Of course, we should be connecting the flood to the real world, connecting it to geology. If there was a global flood, as described in the Bible, we would expect to find, as a result of that flood, billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the Earth. Guess what we find? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water literally all over the Earth. Tremendous confirmation of that event. People say, wait, but doesn't it take millions of years to make rock layers? Not at all. Water, dirt, minerals, right conditions during the flood, not a problem. You make rock layers in no time flat. few examples, we see this today. Here's a ship's bell encased by rock. Here's a clock encased by rock. Here's a spark plug encased by rock. None of those are millions of years old, right? Mount St. Helens, when it erupted back in 1980, it laid down rock layers, thousands of rock layers in hours or days, big ones and little ones, in no time flat almost instantaneously, did not take millions of years. It made canyons like this one, called the mini Grand Canyon, because it's 1 the size of the Grand Canyon with similar features with steeped walls and side-barbed canyons. Guys, it made that canyon in nine hours. Great, real scientific evidence, observational evidence. These things do not take millions of years to form. All you need is a catastrophic process. And if you want bigger rock layers and bigger canyons, all you need is a bigger catastrophe like... Noah's flood, as the Bible describes, very, very clear. And also the fossils scream a global flood because to make a fossil requires special rapid conditions. When things die, they don't typically fossilize, they tend to decompose, and praise God for that. So to make it fossilized, bury it deeply, rapidly, with lots of dirt and mud and minerals you can get fossils, like during the flood. A few examples of this rapid process. Here's a petrified ham turned to stone in less than 60 years after being buried during a volcanic eruption. A ham that's a rock. It's funny, all right? Here's a, petri- here's a petrified fish, fossilized in the very act of eating another fish, pretty much instantaneous. This poor guy did not get to finish his last meal. <laughs> that's sad. That's why I call this fossil The Last Supper. <laughs> that's, that's wrong. And it's only funny. <laughs> it's only funny to the Christians, by the way, too. <laughs> Here's a fossilized ichthyosaur, Fossilized and very active giving birth, and it does not take millions of years to give birth. Praise God, said ladies. Amen? (laughs) And one more example. There are more I'll have to kind of skip through. We're running out of time here going over. But we have now found numerous, numerous, numerous examples of inside unfossilized sections of dinosaur bones, we find soft tissue. The tissue is still stretchy. It's still pliable. Inside the tissue, we find blood vessels and red blood cells. Here's what's amazing about that. These organic remnants are made of mostly water. They should not last hundreds of years after the creature's death. Maybe thousands in special conditions. No way millions. Fantastic forensic evidence. These things are, at most, thousands of years old. In no way millions. Tremendous confirmation of the Word of God. And we could go on if we had time to talk about carbon-14 dating, supporting the biblical time frame, and how most dating methods point to a very young earth and so forth and so on. But here is the bottom line. as I skim through the rest of these. Ultimately, this is a worldview issue. That's the issue. If we stand on God's Word, it's then we can effectively give answers for our faith and fight against what's taking place in our culture today and then share the gospel boldly. Bottom line, this really is a battle between two different religions. Really, there's only two religions in the world. Did you know that? Ultimately, either God's word is true or it's not and man's word becomes the ultimate authority. Those are your two options. Everything really what's taking place today has been a change foundationally in our culture from God's word as a foundation to man's word and we're seeing the utter collapse of the Christian worldview and the rise of humanism in our day and age. And you say, Brian, okay, you said that a couple of times. I get it. That's the problem, so what is the solution? It's a good question, I'm glad you asked it lines up right with my notes next slide I'll sum up with these last two castle diagrams castle on the right represents Christianity built on the foundation of the authority of God's Word and of course the doctrines and the gospel that come out of that foundation castle on the left represents secular humanism and the moral relativism that comes out of that foundation and I want you to notice something very clear and I think this is so true and so like our enemy notice the humanist notice what they're doing the enemy. He's not fighting. He's not attacking the deity of Christ or the virgin birth or the resurrection of Christ. No, 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 no. He's attacking the history. He's attacking the foundation because he understands, once the foundation goes, what happens to the structure? False. And then notice the Christians. Some, oops, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Some are shooting in the wrong direction, have no idea what's going on. Some are fighting each other. Some are asleep. Many, now, I fear this recognizes many within Christian leadership, unfortunately, many of our seminaries and our Bible colleges, many pastors that are destroying their own foundation. They're saying, we don't really need Genesis. That history in the Bible is not that important. Just trust in Jesus anyway. They're actually destroying their own foundation. Don't even realize it. And then I think, honestly, for most average Christians, we are represented right here, right? We're looking out to the culture. We see all these social ills. We see things like so-called gay marriage and the abortion issue and racism. And we think to ourselves, we've got to fight against those things. And we do need to fight against those things. And truth and love, we must. But guys, those things are not the problems. They're the symptoms. They're the symptoms of a loss of biblical authority in our day and age. And for all the time and money we have spent as a people of God fighting those symptoms, is it working? No, as we said at the very beginning, America's becoming less Christian every day. Why is it not working? Here's why. Because we are trying to change the culture. And nowhere in the Bible does it say go into the world and change the culture. The Bible says go into the world and preach the what? Preach the gospel and to make disciples, that God would change hearts and minds, that God would change people from the inside out. That will change their worldview and that will change the culture. You see, we're losing this quote-unquote culture war because we have been fighting the symptoms and not the source. So what is the solution? And it is this. We need to stand on the authority of God's word, restore that foundation, starting in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own churches, and stand on the authority of God's word, equip ourselves to defend the faith, answer the questions, and then by standing on God's word, we can boldly proclaim the gospel that changes hearts and minds, and that can change the culture. You see, we cannot change the culture from the top down when it's changed from the bottom up. And you can't impose Christian morality on a culture that no longer has a foundation for it. We've got to deal at the foundational level, at the heart level. It's interesting. Um, I said this last session, but it's just true. Uh, I've heard there's an election coming up. Anybody heard that? (laughs) Maybe a little bit, right? Um, And before I say what I'm going to say, let me just say this first. Should, as Christians, should we stand on God's word, equip ourselves with a biblical worldview, and interact with this culture, and get involved with the culture, and get involved with politics, and get involved with what's happening in the world around us? Should we do that? Yea, verily, I think we must. Amen? We stand on God's word, we get involved. According to this book, we build our thinking from here, so we do get involved. But let me say this now. With that being said, I think it should be fairly obvious to any honest observer that the ultimate answer to the problems in our culture is not political. Amen. Based on the selection of candidates we have, I think that should be fairly obvious to all. That's not even meant really to pick on them. It's maybe a little jab, but the point is, no matter who it is, no matter who's elected president, King Jesus is still King Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. And it's by standing on his unchanging word that we can deal with the attack today where it's happening, equip ourselves to defend the faith, equip our kids and our grandkids to defend the faith, and then proclaim the gospel, which God can use to change the culture around us. Amen? That's what this is all about. And so that's why I implore you to get yourselves equipped, to get equipped for battle, to recognize the attack and get ready to deal with that attack. And so many of you, I know our parents and our grandparents and recognize your kids and grandkids. this is the battle they're fighting, whether they recognize it or not. So be sure they realize it and then equip them to do battle where it's taking place. A few things I'll suggest very quickly. We brought a ton of resources with us in the back because a big part of our ministry is equipping you with the answers. If you came to the Sunday school session and this one, I talk fast, right? A lot of information, a lot of stuff. But within three days, studies show within that three-day frame, you'll forget about 90% of what I just said. That makes me sad I'm working hard, All right. (laughs) but I want you to know there are answers so you can go back there and get the books and DVDs so you can read the book again and watch the DVD to see the answers or equip yourself and your family. A few things I'll suggest. The book, The Lie, it's kind of like this talk in book form. So if you know a Christian friend or family member who needs to understand why this is important and they'd like to read, that's the book you want to look at. The book already gone? Why are two-thirds walking away? What can we do to stop it? Parents, grandparents, Christian leaders, really a must-read for those people, even teens, I'll suggest. The answers we need to defend our faith? one of the best resources we have for that are the answers book one through four each book answers 25 to 35 different questions each chapter is a different question so it's an easy reference tool you can read chapter 12 about dinosaurs and chapter 17 about carbon 14 dating chapter 25 about why those 66 books or whatever great reference tool encourage you to get those got those for teens and for kids as well written at their levels doing particular questions they deal with we got other books like A is for Adam, D is for dinosaur, N is for Noah. These are good for the preschool kids walking through the alphabet, addressing those issues from a biblical perspective. Good artwork, very friendly to kids, but no bathtub arcs, praise God. Real history, real answers, that's the point. For all of the teenagers out there, for the ADD adults, we have DVDs, praise God, amen? All right, so if you don't like to read, Answers DVDs, great tools. Each DVD answers around 10 to 15 different questions and around three to four minutes per question, really great quick answer uh, provider. This particular talk, a version of this talk is on DVD in the back called The Genesis of the Gospel Against Me Giving a Version of This Talk. There's another element added in that talk I didn't share with you today that is Really a game changer. Uh, It's really a big light bulb moment for a lot of people, so I encourage you to check out that DVD. It's this content and a little bit more. So I encourage you to check that out. Still only an hour long, though. Uh, Science confirms the Bible, kind of like the talk I did during a Sunday school session. And be aware, just during this mini-conference, we're here uh, for a little bit this afternoon. Come back at 6, we'll talk about dinosaurs, and we'll pack up and leave after that. But uh, during this time we're here, we have the You Choose special. Any combination of books or DVDs we have in the back for those prices, and so the more you buy, the more you save. And once you get to thirty items for one ninety-nine, that's around six fifty per item which is really close to our call center. That's a really effective way to equip yourself with a lot of answers, especially with, you know, uh, Christians coming around the corner for others as well. Got all sorts of other resources back there. The Begin book is great for using answers to share the gospel. I encourage you to take a glance at that. We sell it for three bucks because it's focused on evangelism, great evangelistic tool. And then our magazines, my wife's favorite thing that we do, comes out six times a year, deals with current issues from a biblical perspective. Won so many awards. One of these top-selling Christian magazines in the world because it is really, really really well done. Um, there's a kid section inside it that kids love, as I like to say, scientifically proven by my son, who's reading there at 15 months because he's advanced. <laughs> the follow-up to that is he's not really reading. He's looking at pictures like his dad does. But the point is, there's a kid section in there all right, that you can enjoy. And here at the conference for each year, you subscribe to the magazine. You get a free DVD up to three. And then also, let me just say this. I came yesterday and spoke to a lot of the teachers about the ABC curriculum. As a ministry, our ultimate response to the Genesis 3 attack of our day for the church to use is our Answers Bible curriculum. It is absolutely amazing. It's a three-year Sunday school curriculum that walks through the entire Bible chronologically. And well, guys, when you do that, it is amazing. When you go through all the events of biblical history in order and see the cause and effect and where everybody fits, and you see the gospel thread woven all the way through, the Bible starts to make sense, all of it. And it's like he's got an author who knows what he's talking about. What a crazy idea. And then we do the apologetics as you go through that history. It's a phenomenal. Tool. I know you guys are already using it at some levels. I think the church is looking at it, putting it at all levels. I know they need help getting that started. So really look into that. It's a man no better way to equip yourself and the coming generations to defend their faith than that curriculum. So be aware of that's happening within the church. you sign up for the free news update in the back. We have a little sign up sheet for that. It's free. It comes out monthly. It also tells you where speakers will be. I travel all over the place. So do many other speakers dealing with these issues. So you get a calendar in the back for that. Also, if you like free stuff, some people do, answersingenesis.org. Literally thousands of free articles on the website, from very layman friendly to very technical. There's an Answers Research Journal that's free as well, very, very techie, and that's just there for you to access. If you got questions, we've got answers. They're right there. Hundreds of free videos also on the website. Then you can follow me on Facebook or Twitter. I also do a blog as well. I think I'll put up one soon. Uh, do one about one a month, but follow me if you would like there. And then tonight, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories at the end about a captain, but I'm running long on time, so I'm going to save that for tonight. And if you get a chance, I know it's Sunday afternoon, I understand, but we're going to talk about one of the uh, most beloved subjects that we do, and that is dinosaurs. And it is a fantastic talk, and there's so much good information there. And it's really good for almost any age group, so I encourage you to really come back for that, if you at all can. That'll be at 6 o'clock. So that's a lot. I said a lot. Let me close this in a word of prayer. And I hope to see you guys later. I'll turn over to the pastors. But let's close in word prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for coming together under your name. That, Lord, that we can be here as a part of your body. God, I'm always amazed. You know it's true how when I get to travel, I get to see other parts of your body all over the world and how they love you and how they serve you. And we have that common bond in Christ. And it's just that love that binds us together, your love. What an amazing thing. God, we sang earlier that you will not fall away, that you are a rock that does not give way. And Lord, your word is settled forever as well. It will not give way. And God, I pray that we will take that to heart and that we would be obedient to your call to take every every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And we will contend for the faith and we would use these answers to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. God, that you might work through us to draw a lost and dying world to yourself for your eternal glory and our joy. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.